You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning, Free City. All right. My name is Kalen Cameron. Um, I have been attending here at Free City for uh, about four years now. Um, I am a member of the Be About Terrell City Group. And... Got that right. And I also serve on the worship team uh, playing bass guitar and uh, occasionally serve on um, communion as well. Um, Today's scripture comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Um, This can be found on page 761 um, in the Bibles that are underneath your seats. So once again, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these." But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today um, undoubtedly in a very wide range of ways, um, in joy and in gladness. Um, maybe an anger and frustration, maybe sadness, or maybe even just content with um, kind of the day-to-day drone of daily life. Um, But no matter how we come to you today, um, I just want to thank you for this precious gift of another day where your mercies and glories are anew. Um, God, I thank you for Free City and um, for this amazing gathering of people that we have here. Um, God, may we never take this for granted, and may our praise and our worship um, glorify you today and every day of the week, too. Um, 
God, we pr- er, uh, pray thanking you for Central, um, not only for giving us this amazing space to meet each week, um, but that you would also work in the hearts and the minds of the teachers, of the faculty, of the administration, and of the students too. Um, God, I just pray that you would give them um, spirits of patience and spirits of learning, especially now as we kind of begin to get into the um, downhill slide of this semester. And God, I pray that if there is ever any way that we as a church, um, you know, Free City can work in the lives of these teachers and admin and faculty and students, um, that you would make that abundantly clear to us, um, God, even if it's just something as simple as them walking by while we're um, singing or them walking by hearing uh, Casey's sermon, um, that you would put um, just that seed of curiosity in their heart and um, that they would maybe even come and join us one of these weeks. Um, but yeah, God, I just pray that if there is a way that we can work in their lives, that we can um, do that and that you would uh, kind of help make that clear to us. Um, God, I also pray for the sermon today. Um, I pray for Casey and the message that he's prepared. Um, God, may we have open hearts and ears and minds um, to not only take in this sermon that he's prepared for us, but to also help um, unpack and apply what the sermon text means to us, both in our personal lives um, and also just in the lives of Um, the world around us. Um, God, I just pray that we would uh, find ways that we can um, just apply it to our daily life so that we don't just praise and glorify you on Sundays and maybe on city uh, group nights, but that we would praise you and glorify you every day of the week. Um, God, we love you and we thank you. Um, It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name's Casey. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and uh, we are jumping in uh, Matthew 6, and uh, we're starting verse 19. We're actually only going to get to verse 24 um, this week, which some of you might be relieved. Uh, Others greatly disappointed, because if you look at verse 25, it says, therefore, so it's connected. It's just I had eight notes, uh, pages of notes, and I tried to do three and a half. So... um, but as we look at this, we're going to be looking at it in two parts where we talk about trusting and treasuring actually in the opposite direction where Jesus is going to talk about what you treasure will lean your life in such a direction that you start to trust it. And we need to know if what we treasure is going to come through in what it promises. Can it bear the weight of my life, much less the weight of all eternity? You know, uh, this was uh, maybe a couple years ago. uh, Around the breakfast table, Cruz uh, was telling us about a dream that he had. He was so excited about it. He was like, man, in this dream, I I found this map, and I had to go through the perilous following of the map through booby traps and dangerous events here and there. And as he described it, it reminded me like pitfall, like there were, you know, alligators and swinging across stuff and um, Atari game. None of you guys even know. Okay. But as he was describing it, getting to the end where he found the treasure, he said, I finally found the treasure and the treasure was these chests of gold, coins, and bouillon. I added bouillon. He doesn't know what bouillon is. But around the chests of gold were turtles everywhere. And Liv goes, <laughs> Liv listening goes, forget the gold, go with the turtles. Yes. At which point, that's 
I knew we were doing it right. Go with the turtles. But like when you get to the end and you find the treasure, it depends on what you value. If you value gold, you go with the chest. If you value puppy farms and kitten farms, you go with the turtles. It depends on what you value. And so here, the end of Matthew 6 is drawing us in to say this. What you trust, you will treasure. And what you treasure, you will trust. They go hand in hand. The lean of your life is toward the things that capture your heart. And it's actually like we're going to see later on that you could actually work that opposite, that if you're uncertain about where your heart is captured, you can start to send the things that you treasure into things that you want to capture your heart. But he's drawing this correlation that the center of your being, like the center of what makes decisions for you, the center that weighs you know, what values you have, what's gonna be your decision-making, your heart will always find a way to what it treasures. And as your life leans more and more on that, the outcome of your life will be dictated by the worth, both here and now and for eternity, of what you treasure. And so, I mean, it's pretty simple, like, what the things that you expect to keep you safe or the things that you expect to give you satisfaction or the things that you think will establish or hold your significance. Like Jesus wants us to look in our hearts and he wants to talk about the treasure that we find. And so, you know, right here, we're gonna look at this over two weeks. This week we're gonna focus on what we treasure in verses 19 through 24. And then when we come back to this, we're gonna look at what we trust, where we talk about anxiety and we talk about worry in verses 25 through 34. But this week I, I see four warnings. And so if you wanna know where we're going, this is what Jesus is gonna say about money and possessions, what you treasure. It's gonna say they don't last. They have this strong gravitational pull upon our lives that orient all the things of our lives around them. They have a blinding power that can render us in a dangerous place. And they have an enslaving power that when mixed with the blinding power and the pull, he gives this grave, grave warning. And so th this is time, we don't, we don't always, we don't, we didn't plan this, but um, here in the next couple of weeks, we're also gonna be talking about, man, did I grow? This seems kind of short to me, hold on. Uh, we're gonna be talking about an end of the year uh, giving campaign that we're gonna do. And uh, really, I just wanna kind of give you two brief goals of that. Like the first thing is we're making a push to raise one-time gifts of like $100,000. And the way we wanna do that is we wanna break up $50,000 to put aside for a future building if God ever opens up the door for us to step into a future building. Um, and there's a lot of story behind that that we'll wanna unpack and share. And then we wanna raise $30,000 just for future staffing needs uh, just as the coming year. Um, and then we wanna raise $20,000 for church planting that we can just send that to be a part of the expanding kingdom of God outside of these walls, outside of what we do, that we can raise up leaders and send out. And so that's the first thing. And so we're gonna be asking, and you know, we didn't plan that, hey, we're gonna talk about Matthew 6, and then, oh, you're gonna be in trouble then. Um, it just worked out. Um, but 
uh, and then we have another thing where we're kind of inviting first time givers uh, or people who are looking at their finances say, man, I think I might be under giving uh, to look ahead and we want to secure another $120,000 over uh, 2023, um, which, you know, that hits people in different spots. Some people are like, man, that's a ton of money. Um, other people who've run businesses are like, man, that's, that goes pretty fast. Um, but that's just that you would look at of like, hey, I've been a placeholder here. Uh, what does it look like to invest in here uh, for the future of the mission that is on Free City's heart that God's placed there? And so there'll be more information coming about that. But right here, we want to look and, and hey, last week we talked about giving thermometers. There will be no giving thermometer. None. We won't have one uh, unless we really, really need it. And then we'll pull it out. But here we go. Man, if you're thinking, like you get to this passage and you're like, oh man, another pastor talking about money and now we have a giving campaign and like, oh, here we are. Like, I I want you to notice that it's actually not us talking about money, it's Jesus talking about money. Like, like Jesus actually talks a a lot about money and he's actually not afraid to uh, uh, offend us. Like, if you notice, like, Jesus has been trying to offend us in a lot of different areas. He's been trying to make us uncomfortable. Like, he's already talked about our hate problem in in verse 21 and our anger problem also in verse 21. And he actually scares us where he says, that which we store up in our heart will eventually come out. And if we don't address it in our heart, it could come out in murderous ways. And then he talks about all the wrong ways that we think about sex and divorce and marriage. And so now he wants to come, he wants to talk about money and possessions. Like Jesus is not afraid to look around the room, piercing the hearts of his listeners and to say, listen, I wanna go after your very heart and I wanna warn you. And so there's much, when we look at this, like the lean of our lives toward money and possessions, there's much that's gonna make us uncomfortable. I have been reading so much. Like I've been reading uh, Randy Alcorn, he's got the treasure principle, and it makes me feel terrible. And I wanna share that with you. I want you to feel terrible too. I've also been reading a lot of, uh, John Piper talks a lot about generosity and money, and it's made me feel terrible. And I wanna share that with you. But I also want to share the freeing effect of when we see the blessing of God rest in our hands and we treasure something more eternal that has more worth that can actually hold the weight of our lives. I also want to share that with you. And so as we're looking at this, like just to consider, man, the Bible says so much about money and possessions. Like, like, I want, consider this, like in Luke chapter three, John the Baptist is hitting the scene and he's going around, he's preaching about repentance. And so he's saying things like, be careful, you're like a tree and the ax is coming and all these different things. He starts calling people names, you brought a vipers and they all gather around and he preaches this thing that he says, you must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And then it goes through all these different people and they all ask, what do you mean by repentance? And so like the crowd in verse 10, it says, what should we do in response to repentance? And look, in verse 11, he says this, he says, whoever has two tunics 
Whoever has two tunics, oh, I lost my spot here. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. And so he says, one way of bearing out repentance is looking at your possessions and sharing with those in need. He says, don't let the greed for more choke out your repentance. Or then we have tax collectors, and they're hearing what he says. And they say, what should we do? And in verse 13, it says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. He says, don't take more than what is fair. Don't let the want of money and possessions cause you to be unethical. He says, something about spiritual repentance affects the way we think about possession and money. And so two examples that he gives right away, people will say, what should we do? And John the Baptist goes straight to look at your possessions, look at your motivations. But he doesn't stop there. The soldiers, look, look at verse 14. It'll be up on the screen. You don't have to look at it. But the soldiers there, they say, what should we do? And he says, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, but be content with your wages. He, he says, don't let your greed or your want for things to control you to hurt others to get them. Like, it's a little bothersome that right here, three out of three questions, like innocent questions in the crowd, three out of three questions, what should we do to bear fruit of repentance? And John the Baptist says, hey, listen, there's a controlling power in your heart already, and it's causing you to walk away from the fruit of repentance. And so like John the Baptist in his great repentance driving sermon says, listen, look at the control of money and possessions upon your life. But, but then you have Jesus, like, like consider Jesus. And so roughly 15% of everything Jesus taught, 11 out of 39 parables deal with money. Now that, that's a little misleading. Like some of those parables are not actually, the goal is not money to talk about how you do business or how you do money, but the example is money. And so, for instance, like in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, you have the parable of the vineyard laborers. And so in that parable, the, the owner goes out and gets some day workers and says, come work for me and I'll give you a denarii. Come work for me and I'll pay you a day's wage. And then they come and they work and he goes out in the middle of the day and there's more people. He says, come work for me and I'll pay you. And he goes out like three or four times, even to the very last hour of the day. And he finds people available. He says, come work for me. And so then at the end of the day, he starts paying the people who came last first and he pays them a full day's wage. And then he keeps working down. And what happens is the people who work the whole day are like, man, what am I gonna get if they got a full day's wage? And then the, the end of the story is they're angry because you paid us the same that you paid them and we worked so much harder. Now the goal of that is this. The goal is like the gracious gift of God for those who he calls into his kingdom. It doesn't matter if you serve your whole life toward the kingdom or it doesn't matter if you come at the very, very end. The gracious gift of God is beyond what you think. But part of the example, it relates our difficulty to the grace when it comes to possessions. Like we get so offended when we think others are getting more than us, especially when we think we worked harder than them. And so 15%, 11 out of 39, like we need to just safely conclude that the New Testament talks a lot about money and the question is why? And it's because God is a loving father who doesn't wanna see his children hurt, broken, 
or forever lost. God wants good things for you. He doesn't want them from you. And so Jesus, picking up on kind of these themes, he wants to warn us about what we treasure. Jesus wants us to see the dangerous power of money and possessions. And so that is really the one point that we have with four sub-warnings underneath it. Jesus wants to warn us what can reside and grip our hearts. And he says there is a special grip that money and possessions can have over our lives. And so let's get started. Look at verse 19. In verse 19, it says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures, whether gold, bouillon, and chest, or turtles, on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal. And so the first thing is, Jesus says, Be careful. Money and possessions don't last. Like, this is a simple warning that we all actually know as a whole, but we forget in the day-to-day. And so like, we all would say things like, yeah, 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 I mean, I know that. You can't take it with you. You've never seen a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. Or we'd all look at the pyramids and all this extravagant work and lives given and riches amassed inside the pyramids that laid there until people stole them or until it was discovered because you can't take it with you. Like we would all say, certainly we know that. And we would all say like, man, we got moths, we got rust, we've got thieves. And so all these things, these are first century examples of if you take something of valuable and you put it and you guard it, there's still things that can steal away from it. There's still things that can take it. Someone could dig through the side of your mud and house to steal your treasure. Moths could come in and destroy your precious clothes. Or rust could step in on that which you think will last, but it rusts away. And so there's like different things. Like we have inflation and market instability eating at the hold of our paycheck and bank accounts. Or we have just the new of what we get that just wears off. Like we don't even know how it wears off. We get it. We put it in our pocket and we feel so good about it. Like we just feel better about life. And it wears off. And we just say, man, I want to turn back time, not in like the daylight savings, turn back time, which guys, that used to be such a struggle before everything updated with the time. Like, especially like with early cell phones, when you had some things update and other things not update and you'd wake up in the morning and you're kind of in a stupor and you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know which one's right. And you start doing like an algorithm in your head to try to figure it out which one's right because you don't want to show up to church early. Like back in the day, like when you had to remember this and the news had to remind you and you had to go around the house and change all the clocks and you did it before you went to bed because no one actually gets up at 2 a.m. and does that. When you had to do that, like people showed up at church like an hour early, like where is everybody? We want to turn back time to capture that newness that wears off. But there's all kinds of stuff that destroys. Like, I mean, just like hypothetically, kids and a dog named Charlie, like they destroy stuff. Or things just break. Man, everything, it feels like, it feels like everything in like all our appliances, it feels like they're all breaking, um, like all at once. Like it, it's fun, I just love it. Um, uh, so our oven broke and uh, Kinsey was describing it. She's like, it kind of made this 
pop noise and then this like groan. And so I kind of made her describe the noise to me just to mess with her. But joke's on me, because when I talked to the appliance uh, repairman, I had to make the same noise for him. And I heard snickering in the back, you know, I was like kind of pop, you know, I made the noise. I just put a carburetor on my leaf blower and my weed eater and it's not fixed yet. Like it, it ran for a little bit and then it just stopped. And that was really frustrating, but I got a cool blister to go with that. Um, just pulling the thing over and over. And then my truck just broke. And I've got some friends who are into engines. I'm like, hey, what's wrong with it? I'm like, uh, money, it just needs money. I don't know, I don't know what's wrong with it. Like I, I needed to be towed, and then I think they're gonna fix it, but they're gonna ask me for money. I, I don't know, I don't know. I, can, I, I took a video of the sound it made when I tried to start it, it didn't sound right. That's all I know. It breaks. See, possessions have a way of possessing you. So much of my time has been going trying to fix and establish these things and get it back right. You know, one of my friends who asked like what was wrong with it and I was like, man, I think it just needs money. I, I don't know. And then I just said, I text this, this is nothing that a little money can't fix and it's God's money. If he wants to give it to the car mechanic, well, that's his business. And I did it, I text that because I know it's right, but I don't believe it. It feels like mine. Money and possessions have a way of convincing us that they can make us safe, happy, or significant but they don't last. And we believe it on the macro. We know that's true, but on the day-to-day, it deceives us. And we think, if I just have a little bit more, I'll be safe. The first warning, he says, be careful. It doesn't last. The, the, The second warning, Jesus says, be careful. Money and possessions have a strong gravitational pull. The things that we treasure starts to align everything around in our lives around it. And the more that we treasure it, the more pull it has on us. And so look at verse 19, it says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the warning is that what we treasure will start to direct our heart and what captures our heart will start to direct all the things around our lives will start to be in order considering what we treasure. And so the picture is this like gravity, like gravitational pull. And so, like, I, I can't really explain to you how gravity works other than, you know, I, I was reading, trying to figure out how it works, and it has something to do with mass. And so a small planet has a little bit of gravitational pull, and a big planet has a lot of gravitational pull. And some of you guys who are into physics are like, hmm, that's not really how it works. I, 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 I tried to read it. Um, But the whole idea is the more density that it has and the bigger that it is in your life, the more it pulls to it. And so Jesus is saying, if if money and possessions have a big spot in your heart, it starts to pull all these things around to it. And so it's like whatever your goals are starts to orient all the people and things around your life. Um, This was a couple years ago. I was uh, at the grade school and uh, I was, um, uh, I think it was called Dogs, Dads of Great 
students. Watchdog, yeah, watchdog. They gave me a t-shirt. It was like a, a double XL. Like I'm walking around like Alvin Simon, you know, I'm walking around. And, uh, and so like we were doing a lesson and they gave me some kids, uh, not the kids I would have picked, but they gave me some kids that said, hey, help them with the lesson. And uh, the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, I was kind of expecting to hear, you know, like, you know, I want to, you know, be a police officer or a doctor. And all of the kids, three out of three said, I want to be an Instagram influencer. <laughs> and I thought, what? What did you just say? Like, you can make money doing that? Like, yeah, I want to be an Instagram influencer. I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, like what? And like, well, I want to be an Instagram influencer. I don't make Flurbies. And I was like, I don't even know what that is, but it sounds dangerous and you shouldn't want to make it. And, and so, but like make stuffed animals and it goes out on this and people like watch and people give you money. And I'm like, no, no, don't be that. But like, like what you want, but like, let's just take that. And so this is like, let's just take that. And this is a little bit outside of maybe the money, but if you value Let's say you value how people respond to you online. All of a sudden, every situation becomes posable and measurable for likes. It starts to hold. And so like rather than enjoying the situation and savoring it and bringing it in, you're like, oh man, this is great. Hey, could you take a picture of me? It starts to orient things around what holds mass in your life. Now there's lots of things that we could pick on. I mean, we could pick on like, maybe you just wanna make enough money to live on, you know, have a house on a lake with a mountain bike and a boat and a dog and kiteboarding. This is all just hypothetical. It's not your pastor at all. I've never actually kiteboarded in my life, but I saw it done at Clinton Lake once. I was out there, I was trying to read and pray and I kept seeing something kind of go over the trees and I was like, is that UFO? What is that? And it was kiteboarding. And so then I just watched these kiteboarders for the rest of the time. And I came home and I was so excited. I was like, Kins, our new thing is kiteboarding. She's like, what? And I'm like, check it out. I brought up a video to show it. And it was this uh, shoreline and like, I mean, like hundreds of kiteboarders out there. And it was obviously a cell phone. And all of a sudden you saw one kiteboarder go, oh no. And this gust of wind carried them up like 60 or 100 feet in the air over the shoreline over the road, over a row of houses and disappeared. And Kinsey goes like, oh, that's a good idea. You should definitely do that. <laughs> I was like, clearly he didn't know what he was doing like I do. I mean, I watched it for like two hours today. But all of a sudden you orient your life around something and things start to pull in position. And so that could be, man, it could be so many things from relationships to possessions to money that might give you significance among other people. Satisfaction by what it can give you. Or sometimes we just think about it as security for what might be brought. And Jesus is just saying this, be careful. It has a strong Pull. What you treasure starts to pull on you. It will shape your questions and considerations. It will shape your relationships. It will shape how you follow after me in the kingdom of God. It will order your day by prioritizing. It will start to orbit everything around of it. Jesus says, be careful. Be careful of the pull it has on your life. 
And he says, be careful of the pull that it has because money and possessions are also blinding. Like, look at verse 22. In verse 22, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of life. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now, this, this light and dark metaphor, it, it's kind of hard to translate hard, but I think the meaning is actually super clear. So first, the Bible as a whole, it uses the light and dark metaphor over and over to basically say, full of light, good. Full of darkness, bad. Like, that's pretty consistent all the way through. But then in this Jesus metaphor, we have a good eye and we have a bad eye. And then it's like, ah, the eye is actually a lamp. Ha ha. And so we have all these different things. And so like, it's a little weird in the correlation that makes it hard to translate. And of course, there's lots of debate about what it means then. But I think it's actually really simple. And so first it says, a healthy eye is full of life, has a life that's full of light, and a bad eye fills a life with darkness. Now the commentaries and translators will say it's kind of weird because the word healthy is not what you would expect. It's actually the word for singular, soul, one. And so it's saying a good eye is singular and it's focused on light, and a bad eye can't focus on light. It has too many distractions pulling it away, it is crowded, so everything is fuzzy and becomes darkens, even to the point where you look at darkness and you call it light. Verse 23, it goes on, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? I think this is warning when it comes to money and possessions, there's an entrapping pull that it has and it's kind of sneaky in the way that it blinds us with good intentions while leading us down a a dark, dark path. And, And so we say things and we believe things that if I had this thing, then I would be happy and then you get that thing and it doesn't fix you and it goes into your pocket or or you drive it around or you live in it and you get it and for a while it has an effect and you just feel better. I could do countless examples from my own life that made you just feel better. But the warning is that that wears off and it's not just that that wears off and then you need something else. The warning is that putting hope and trust and value in that, letting it affect your life in such a way as it wears off, the warning is it darkens your eye. Or we say, man, I can make this much money and then, then I'll be set, then I'll tithe, then I'll be generous. And then we make it only to find that our expenses grew with it and our income is higher, but so are our bills and we're gripped even more and we have to hold on even tighter and we were actually able to be more generous when we had less because now we have so many things in our house breaking. And I have an oven in my basement. I mean, we just have to walk down the stairs. It just sets off the fire alarm every time we use it. I mean, literally, like Citigroup, it's like fire, fire. We're like, ah, it's not fire. And someone's like, what if it is a fire one day? I'm like, um, I'm sure we'll find out before we die. And so, like, all these things grip us. Or we say, once I have financial security for my family, then I'll make the games. Then I'll join the bedtime stories. But a darkened eye can't see the work that's all around it because it's calling darkness light. Like, I don't know if there's a more apt 
biblical analogy for the culture we live in. Jesus says, be careful. Money and possessions have a blinding power as they darken our eyes. And then finally it says, Jesus says, be careful. Money and possessions enslave. Look at verse 24. In verse 24 it says, no one can serve two masters. And so right there, it's not talking like you can't have a primary employer and then a side hustle on the side. He's talking in in a language that we don't live in. He's talking about the master-servant relationship. He's saying you can't have two masters. You have to be devoted to one at the expense of the other. Like you can't hold them both. And sometimes the danger is we don't know which one we're devoted to. It says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other And so this hate-love talk, Jesus uses a lot. He talks about loving me, following after Christ, or or loving and hating your family. He doesn't mean literally hating them. He means there has to be a clear winner. There has to be a devotion. And so he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, you cannot serve both God and money. The word translated as money is actually the word mammon. And mammon is an Aramaic word that means like treasure and riches. And so it's the idea, if you didn't have a consistent currency, it'd be the idea of that which has value that you trust in. But that word mammon, it comes from the Hebrew word amon. Amon means certainty and confidence. And so it's saying there's such a prone proclivity in us that we would trust in possessions or money to give us certainty and confidence. It's where we get the word amen. Like how we end prayers in Jesus' name, amen. We say amen to say in Jesus' name I find certainty and confidence and trust. Translating mammon into money and riches is an easy translation choice because it's so easy to put confidence and trust in money, possessions, and riches. When Jesus says you can't serve God or mammon, he is persifying, he's like making it like, he's making it like a person, like a power. And he's saying it can stand as a rival God to our hearts that has a gravitational pull that starts to orient the hours of my day and how I arrange relationships and what parts of the scriptures I follow and what parts I ignore or set aside or think, man, that just seems too extravagant. It starts to pull on our life, but as it pulls on our life, it also starts to darken our eyes so we see it less and less and less. I think Jesus is making it unmistakably clear that money and possessions is more than an impersonal medium of exchange to our souls. I think he's warning us of a sneaky power inside of us with lying promises that he says are enslaving, are darkening to our eyes, and can have a demonstrative effect as it pulls all the things around it. It lures the Christian to sacrifice the eternal 
for something that moths and rust can destroy. Jesus says, be careful. He says, be careful when it comes to money and possessions. They have a unique blinding and enslaving power to our hearts. Be careful. And you might be saying like, come on, Case. Like, come on. Like, aren't you being a little dramatic? Like, it seems like you're saying that there's a luring power of like money and possessions that can cause me to miss eternity, that can cause me to walk away from Jesus one verse at a time as it doesn't fit the pulling power that it has in my life. It seems to be saying that it can lock me into a trajectory of hell as I dismiss all the claims of God on my life. Why, maybe I'm deceived. It seems like that's what you're saying. And I'm, I'm not saying that. I think Jesus is saying that. Like, consider this. Like, consider that three out of 10 of the 10 commandments deal with the danger of money and possessions. One, eight, and 10. And so the first commandment, the way you remember it, one gun. You wouldn't stand before a gun, put nothing before God. You should have no other gods before me. We see a lot of warning that the lust for wealth takes place of God. That's actually what this is saying. It takes place, it disperses out. Or, or the eighth commandment, eight gate. Gates are made of steel, that shall not steal. People usually steal wealth and possessions. Or the 10th commandment, 10 hen. Hens cover their eggs. You don't have eggs, don't covet. Um, it's not a very good one, but it makes me remember it. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, or property. Two out of the three have to deal with money and possessions. Or if you've been keeping up with the Bible reading plan and you've been reading Ezekiel, man, you just read Ezekiel 16. And I listen, I usually, when we get there in the Bible reading plan, I'm like, oh man, it's gonna get weird. Um, I've actually really enjoyed Ezekiel this time. Like I, I watched uh, the Bible Project kind of help give me some rails to understand it. And I, I totally, you should do that. And just reading and seeing the lamenting and the brokenness and trying to communicate all that's wrong and trying to communicate an urgency. Can't you see what's wrong? In Ezekiel 16 and verse 49, Ezekiel says why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you go back to Genesis 18, like God tells Abraham he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a list of sins, but like usually think of Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed because of sexual sin. And that is true, but it's not all the truth. Like Ezekiel 16, verse 49, listen. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride. Excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. And so Ezekiel is recounting the sin, not as much as sexual, but as the blinding, holding power of greed on their society and on their souls. And because of that greed, God removed a city. Or consider Jesus' warning, Matthew 16, verse 23, for what profit, what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return of his soul? 
Or consider Judas. Consider Judas and Peter. Judas and Peter, man, they saw all kinds of miracles that Jesus did. They saw the same miracles. Judas and Peter, man, they heard the same teachings over and over as they traveled with Jesus. They heard what he said the kingdom was like. They heard what was expected. They heard the gospel come through them. They heard over and over that the Son of Man must be delivered over to be beaten and flogged and killed and resurrected. Over and over they heard what Jesus said. Matter of fact, if we back up and we look at Jesus sending out the, the two by two, we actually know that they both experienced miracles of God's provision and the deliverance of people as demons were cast out. They both had like incredible moments of ministry. But if we carefully read how it describes, we see that toward the end, Judas still called Jesus teacher. Even after Peter said, you are God incarnate, the Messiah that was to come, the promise of all the Old Testament. And and so if if you look at it, in Matthew 26, like Jesus predicts that Judas was gonna betray him. Like he didn't say, you Judas said, one of you is gonna betray me. And then Judas says this in verse 24, he says, is it I, rabbi? Teacher, is it me? And Jesus says, you say it. That's all he says, you say it. You've already decided. You've already declared. It's already taken so much hold upon your heart. You've already made a decision to walk away from me. You just haven't done it yet. Or we see later in the same chapter, Jesus and his disciples are praying in the garden of Gethsemane and Judas comes and betrays him with a kiss and he says, greetings, rabbi. And the warning is this. You can do all kinds of religious things and spiritual activities, but if Jesus is just a teacher and a moral guide to you, there is a price that you will betray and walk away. Judas walked away for 30 pieces of silver, but you also have Peter. And so Peter What did he call Jesus? Peter called Jesus the promised savior that all the Old Testament pointed to. In Matthew 16, when Jesus asked, what do you say that I am? Who do people say I am? And he goes through, man, some people say you're like John the Baptist, come back, or the prophet. He says, who do you say I am? And Jesus responds, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter would, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, would expand on his definition of Jesus. And so it's gonna be up on the screen, but 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3. He says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So right there, Peter saw Jesus as the bodily manifestation of God's great mercy. Peter saw Jesus... That he has the means to make us miraculously born again into a living hope. Peter saw Jesus as the resurrected son of God. It goes on in verse 4. It says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you think he might have been thinking, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven? 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to in the last time? Do you think maybe he was thinking, you know, store up treasure where moth and rust and thieves can't steal or destroy? Peter saw ahead of him an inherited imperishable treasure waiting for him in heaven. Verse six, in this, in this waiting, in this waiting to see the treasure in heaven, in this waiting in this lifetime where not everything that is treasure feels like treasure, in this waiting, he says, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Peter looked around himself and saw grieving trials. Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seeing Jesus as God in control deemed the grieving trials as necessary to gain what was just described, this resulting in praise and glory and honor a further revelation of Jesus. See this pulling power in our heart that leans on these things to keep us safe or to satisfy us or to make us significant has a dimming effect upon our eye that what Peter is saying, if you see Jesus as who he is, if you look deeper to see how Jesus as who he is and what he says and what he promises, it lessens that power and it makes it just a thing as you treasure something deeper. Let me pray for us. Um, Lord, I pray as <clears throat> for the next couple of weeks as we look at this and we expand on it, Lord, you would just actually help us be honest. Like, Lord, you would help us not only look at what we treasure, but also what we trust in. And Lord, we would be honest about the things that we trust in that don't deliver, and yet we forgive them, and we forgive them, and we forgive them, and we lean on them again, even though they constantly give way. And we tell ourselves as they whisper in our ear, if you have just a little more, you'll be safe. Lord, I also pray that you would free us Lord, that we can identify what's going on in our heart and we can hold it up to you and your surpassing glory, your surpassing honor would result in praise as we hold those things to you. And so Lord, I pray that you would give us great clarity. But Lord, we get a picture before us that we get every week as we come to communion and the picture is this, that we don't have to bring anything but all is provided and such it is with people who follow after Jesus. And that doesn't mean that work wasn't done, it wasn't prepared, it means that the work that was done and the preparation that went before us was gracious acts that were done on our behalf. And so Lord, we come 
with a hunger and a need and we find food and we find drink that point us to the picture of our greatest need. The body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ spilt for us by which without those things, there is no saving. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.